You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Hi, everyone. Today, I am joined by an incredible nonprofit leader, Sarita Hill, who's the executive director of Step Up Durham. Step Up Durham works to help adults and children transform their lives through employment and training. She has led the organization for several years and came to Step Up with a professional career dedicated to addressing the many issues that lead to poverty. I know Sarita personally as someone who is really committed to changing lives through education and opportunity and have had the pleasure of working with her through our skilled volunteer programs and her own career development leadership journey through a unique program that Common Impact's piloting with the Omega Institute, both of which we'll talk a little bit more about today. Uh, very excited to share her story, her background, and some of her wisdom with our listeners today. Welcome to the podcast, Sarita. Thank you so much for joining us. So you have made it your life's mission to address issues of poverty through your current work, but also your previous experience at Habitat for Humanity. Tell us a little bit about how you came to this issue and what drives you every day to work hard at it. Well, I always tell people I'm not really a planner. Um, I just always try to be ready for what's around the corner. And um, I'm a person of faith, so I just believe that I'm kind of being led to this work and I'm just really grateful to do it. When I was working at Habitat um, Wake County, I worked there for eight years and um, was leading an initiative that was called Neighborhood Revitalization, which went beyond just building houses and really focused on building community. And that's where I got to see um, how unemployment or underemployment really impacts uh, families. Uh, even our Habitat homeowners who were paying maybe five, $600, which is really affordable for a mortgage, um, would lose their jobs or uh, really not have enough money to make mortgage payments and take care of all the other things. They were still kind of in crisis mode. So when I got the opportunity to work for Step Up, I was extremely excited, um, especially with the model that they have of not just working with the adults, but figuring out how to uh, impact the lives of the children that are in the household. So um, I'm just honored to be able to do this work. It's what keeps me getting up every morning and tell us about what Step Up Durham does and what, what about that mission is inspiring and real for you. So Step Up uh, Durham is one of four Step Ups. There's a Step Up ministry that's in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's actually celebrating its 30th year uh, this year. Um, there's a Step Up Wilmington and a Step Up Greensboro. Step Up Durham launched in October of 2015. And all of the Step Ups, we do employment training and placement. 
Um, most of the individuals that we serve have challenges to employment. Across all four step-ups, about 60% are justice-involved, which means that they have a criminal background or they've been formerly incarcerated. Um, for step-up Durham, we have a large percentage, a little over 30% that have housing instability, about 27% that are in substance abuse recovery. Um, I tell people that you don't have to have a challenge to go through step up, but we want individuals that do have those challenges to know that we are a safe space for them. So we offer a 32 hour, approximately 32 hour employment training that really Danielle is um, soft, soft skills training. It's a, what a lot of us already know. It's just a reminder for people. Um, and then after the 32 hours and once um, people graduate, the goal is to or work with people around securing employment within 90 days of graduation. Um, so the graduates get an employment counselor that works with them. It's a 50-50 relationship. They work, uh, do their 50% and their employment counselor does his or her 50% to get them employed within the 90 days. Right now for Step Up Durham, it's a little under 45 days um, that people are securing employment. For some folks, it, it's a week turnaround, which is really amazing. Um, to make that happen, we recruit employers who are willing to hire uh, the folks that we serve. Um, we believe in livable wages, so the goal is to get people into livable wage employment. We believe that there is a real connection between um, education and uh, career path, and so we partner with uh, the local universities and colleges to see if we can get people to get certifications or get people to get uh, additional skill sets so that they can get a higher wage and um, or and or a career path. So that's one part of our program. And then we also launched something in um, April of 2017 called Step 2, which is a longer term curriculum focused on personal development, financial education, and career pathways. Um, it's a family focused uh, curriculum. So people come in the evening with their children. Um, every week they bring $10. And if they're unbanked, we help them to set up an account with one of our banking partners. Um, and we build community for that first kind of 30 minutes. We have a meal, um, the families and, and the staff and volunteers. And then the children go to childcare and the adults go to their um, particular modules. In the future, the childcare will be um, a more robust children's curriculum that aligns with the adults. But right now, because it's still fairly new, it's um, it's just childcare. But that's that's what we have been doing for the last couple of years and have exciting ventures um, in the future. It was really interesting to see a stat that you have says an estimated 1.6 million North Carolinians are a one in five adults has a criminal record and that can be a real root cause of poverty or the cycle of poverty. So I would be curious how you think about that and any systemic change that we need to make. Sure. So, you know, there's some conversation around this idea of collateral consequences. When a person um, returns to their community from prison, there's so many barriers that have been put in his or her way. They can't get housing, they can't get a job, you know, there's a lot of things that um, systems in place that are just saying you are not welcome. 
And, and yet people have served their times and their fathers and mothers and children. They still have people that they need to provide for. And so we really need to figure out ways that we can um, be more inclusive and um, welcome uh, folks home um, because that impacts their families, their communities, and uh, the, the state really. So, um, so I think that's what we're doing. We're trying to work with employers that are willing to um, be second chance employers. Not all of our employers will hire people with felonies, but we will have some that will, and we'll have some that say it depends on, you know, the felony. It depends on how long ago they were incarcerated. So people are trying to have different types of conversations, understanding that it impacts um, our community. And I imagine it takes real uh, education and conversation with these employers to support them in their own journey on getting past those perceived barriers and that uh, your team must do a lot of work to, to support that education. How do you think about that and how do you train your team to educate in a, in a pretty new space for, I'm sure, many employers? Sure. I mean, I can... I understand uh, an employer's hesitation because I also have the same questions and concerns, but we want to live out our values. And so we do have people on our staff um, who are justice involved. Um, recruit, we recruit for our board folks that are justice involved um, so that we can say to an employer, so that I can say to an employer, you know, let me tell you the kind of concerns that I had, um, and then let me tell you why I decided to hire this person. Um, and so I think the fact that we try to live out uh, our values is really the biggest thing that we can do in getting an, a, a, an employer to buy into the work that we're doing. A number of our staff just have a heart for um, individuals that have been formerly incarcerated. We've had a number. We're right. We're in Durham and right um, here is Duke University. So I've had a number of staff and interns that have gone and gotten like a prison ministry certificate. So they have said, I have a heart specifically for this population. Um, they've pushed to have us teaching in the prisons. And so now I'm really proud to say that we're in um, two correctional facilities because the goal is to really have an impact on people before they return to their communities um, and give a sense of hope. Like we are a place that you can um, know that we are welcoming and we want to help you find employment and we have employers that are willing to hire you. So um, so I think that's how we, we just try to live out our values. And speaking of living your values, leading with your values, I want to talk to you today about the Juno Leadership Collective is a, a program that Common Impact is piloting in partnership with Omega, the Omega Institute, and well, piloting as a partner. They, this is a program that they run, and uh, it talks and is focused on doing power differently and thinking about living and leading with your values and how to bring that to both your own career and to your institution. And, uh, for folks who have not 
scenic, Carla Goldstein, who leads the initiative, has an amazing TED Talk called Creating the Age of Aquarius that just pinpoints what's wrong with power right now and how we need to move from something that's pretty hierarchical and individual driven to something that's much more collective and works for the whole. And the Juno Leadership Collective is a leadership development program within that. And Sarita, and given all the work that you're doing and you've got two kids and you've got uh, plenty going on that would prevent you from being able to fully commit and participate to this, was thrilled to have you as part of the program. Would love to just hear what your experience has been and if it has differed from other leadership programs that you've been exposed to. Oh, definitely, Danielle. First, it was just an honor to um, be in a space with women across the country that had a focus on social justice. Um, and, you know, so not just social justice, but all females. Um, so that just made for a different space. And I was really grateful for that. It's, it's as, a, as an, a leader of an organization, that's a fairly small organization. I mean, our budget is $335,000. We had a uh, full-time staff right now of three and more interns than full-time staff and um, a number of committed volunteers who are grateful. You just don't have the, the luxury to um, go to a, a beautiful retreat and um, just sit and learn and think about how you lead and how you want to lead and your values and your vision for your organization and yourself and um, and just be cared for. You know, as you mentioned, I am a mother of two and, um, you know, I haven't been cared for like that since I live with my mother. <laughs> so, you know, I was able to say, mom, I'm eating vegetables, and you know, and, and just um, being able to be out in a, a beautiful um, space with really healthy food and people who were, you know, aligned with the values that I try to live into. It was, it was really great um, to have that experience. And even after uh, the week in uh, New York, we've had a number of calls that have been great, prompts that have um, made me think about, you know, how to what does um, self-care look like? Um, what are some of my goals that I want to have over the next three to six months? Um, how do I hold myself accountable to those things? So the education continues, and I'm just really grateful. And I've been able to call on a few of the women in the collective to ask questions around fundraising, just to brainstorm um, you know, a thought that I was having. So it's, it's been a gift. That's wonderful to hear. And this idea of lifting up the, what has been traditionally thought of as feminine leadership qualities, empathy and collaboration, and making that more of the go-to and the dominant, I think is a very powerful concept. And it's been hard to bring into practice. And this is one of the ways that I, I see it being brought into practice. And, um, the other the other dimension which we've worked together is through a a skills based volunteer program that is another application of this we have a fidelity investments program where all female technologists are paired with 
nonprofits to support that growth. So female technologists in a financial services company, that's the boys club of the boys club, right? And um, typically pretty traditional power and leadership dynamics. And this program is designed to break that mold. And as I hear about the story and particularly the way that you approached that project. It's a really powerful example to me. You brought a cadre of female staff and volunteers to the table from your team. And the mandate was reshaping your website to increase accessibility to those that you serve. And the quote that you said you started and ended the project with was, we all bring something unique to the table. And when we women sit at it, there is no doubt in my mind that it becomes a more compassionate, caring, and collaborative table, which is just so powerful to me and so simple and also really speaks to what we're all trying to get at. And would just love to hear what that means to you and how it was realized through the project. Yeah, and that was an amazing experience um, to, you know, I was very honest with uh, the Fidelity team that I and not tech savvy at all. Um, I and so you know the fact that they really listened and I understood like all of the process was amazing. Um, and and the younger staff would tell you, "Wow, Serena, <laughs> she got through this," and it was pretty. It was pretty amazing. And so you know what I find is that when women are sitting at the table, we just um, the way that we're present was just. Uh, different. Everyone listened and then, you know, shared. And when they shared, they really listened and came back with, uh, well, what about these options? And things that sometimes you don't even say, sometimes you don't even know what you want. But um, the team was able to come back and say, well, this is kind of what I was hearing. And, I'm, and we could say, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, but I didn't know how to say it. Or actually, that's really close. Um, let me let's talk about how we could tweak it to get it there. But we came out with a a website that went beyond what we had hoped for. Um, in Durham, things are very Durham centric, and so we wanted something. It's got it's it's innovative. It's got grit to it, which I love. And so we wanted the website to showcase that. And one of the um, folks that said said she was doing though she was doing the tech piece she said well I actually know a photographer who can take some pictures uh, throughout Durham and we can have that on your website and I thought that's amazing and then and she just gifted that to us um, and so I think you know the site that we have really represents who we are uh, as an organization and our love for this community which um, is really important because this Durham is an amazing community, and um, so yeah, together I think we were just able to create something that went beyond my expectations, and so I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Now we've had other nonprofits that have come up and said, "How did you get that opportunity? We want that opportunity. Your site looks so good." It was also an opportunity for us to reach out to some of our volunteers and say, "This is as we're building it." Um, what are you thinking? Um, you know, and get them to feel like they were able to help build it, which for, you know, a volunteer or a donor 
is really empowering. So we were just, it was such a great experience for us. Did you have any hesitation or skepticism going into skills-based or pro bono? Many of our nonprofits, particularly those who are doing it for the first time, do because it's a, it's a much deeper way of working with a team. And there are questions around, you know, will their skills translate and will they respect our expertise uh, and anything along those lines crossed your mind or were you ready to jump right in? Well, when you say it like that, Danielle, I'm thinking, boy, maybe I should have been a little hesitant, but I'm a person who tends to just jump in. Um, you know, we we are a small team and it's limited in our capacity and including our budget, right? And so when you've got people who are experts and um, have the interest, willingness to do it, then I was 100% um, excited and in. But I also know, you know, there was a, a, a situation where we had another nonprofit that was working, do, doing another um, kind of pro bono with another company, and it became just a disaster. Um, we are so fortunate that we didn't have that experience. Uh, from the beginning, the constant communication with the team, just the way that the team listened and um, just kind of brought back suggestions and ideas you know, every week it was just evolving. I think at the beginning, I did feel like a little overwhelmed. How is this going to happen in this amount of time? But as we just met from week to week, it was just, it was happening. And, and the way that it was happening was so great. But yeah, I just, I jumped in and would do it again and again and again, <laughs> especially with, um, you know, you and your team, because you have exceeded all expectations. Well, uh, jumping in seems to work very well for you. <laughs> so whatever you're doing, <laughs> you can. I know that's a little scary. I think my time's running out for that, but no, it's it's been. <laughs> I've been grateful for um, the opportunities, and I try to just again, you know, I'm not planning. I'm just believing that the opportunities that present themselves, I just need to be ready and um, willing to embrace it and explore it. And so that's just been my. Um, temperament in life in general. Well, and when you think about what's next for you for step up and I'm I'm particularly reflecting on the Juno Leadership Collective program, but also just as you're thinking about these large systemic issues that you're trying to solve in in micro ways every day, what do you see as the next big thing that you're tackling and and bringing forward? So there's a movement in in Durham, it feels like, around livable wages and really pushing employers to think differently about what they pay and how they pay. And, and also understanding that not all employers have the capacity uh, to pay a livable wage um, from, you know, the time a person starts, but how can they build family sustaining income for people. Um, and so we were slowly becoming part of that conversation, which we're excited about um, because I think people like the idea of folks getting a job, but they really want some, to see transformation. They want to see sustainability. They want to know where is the family six months, a year out when, um, I worked for Habitat. There was this whole conversation about, uh, as I was leaving, 
if a Habitat homeowner has a house and then their children get a Habitat house, is that really success? You know, on the one hand, the idea of having affordable shelters, that's huge. But on the other hand, you want a person living in a household to maybe think differently, make different choices, um, and be able to have a lot of different options, because that's what all of us want. And so I think we're having those types of conversations here in Durham, and we've been invited to the table on on a number of them. And also the intersection between um, health and employment, housing and employment. You know, there's a lot of intersectionality and um, people are seeing that and and we're being invited to lots of different tables, which I think is really exciting. Um, for me, you know, I, I am um, in my fourth year at Step Up and I love this work, but the, the dream is to have uh, someone from the impacted community that we're serving leaving, leading an organization like Step Up Europe. And so we're, we're talking about succession planning. Who's going to be the next executive director leader of this, um, of this organization? We, we share power here at Step Up. So even though I have the title of ED, you know, that whole, everyone here has say. Um, I'm never kind of pulling or rarely <laughs> pulling that well, you know, I get the final say on this. And so, you know, I'm hoping to uh, raise up someone from the team or someone, you know, in the community who plugs in and becomes the next leader. So that's that's kind of what's, what's next for me. And I'm just preparing myself to embrace whatever opportunity is brought um, after I leave this organization. That's incredible. You know, I think um, as we think about power and, and doing power differently, which has been a theme of our conversation. So much of what's needed is for folks that are in these leadership roles. And you just expressed it to understand who needs to be and to take a step back because so often, and we see this more broadly in the world of corporate social responsibility that common impact operates in is that uh, we, we're very willing to talk about the need for a change in power dynamics, but it becomes really hard when it means letting go of your own personal power, your own personal leadership position um, to move to a less traditional power dynamic. So it's such a great example of how you're living that work and just uh, um, motivating to hear that you're, you're doing it on the ground. Well, I, I believe that this work is much more compelling if the person leading it, um, you know, it's, it's part of their story, right? The the story. I mean, I'm so grateful for this opportunity, and I think I I am the executive director that builds goodwill and that makes um, starts strategic partnerships and builds like these collaborations, I think that will be my legacy. But I think the person who takes this to the next level is the person who has some of these challenges in their backgrounds that they were able to persevere and overcome, that they could speak to that as they're speaking about 10, 15, 20 years from now, perhaps why Step Up Durham is still needed. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited about the next person who um, takes on this role. 
and I'm just, you know, doing what I can to prepare if that person is on the staff now. So from the highest level to, to the ground, what's the best part of your day? Um, I think the best part of my day is when I have uh, a participant is what I call them, um, come in and really talk about how excited they are to start their new job or how this is the first time that they're able to make more than minimum wage or um, because we dress our uh, participants during their employment week, how they are smiling because it's the first time they've owned a suit um, or they realize just how good they look um, in a suit. So those are the best parts. I know that was more than one, Danielle, but those are really the best parts of my day when you really see um, the impact of being highly relational and focused on transformation and just really loving people. That's remarkable. And it can be hard. I mean, I, I know uh, running a nonprofit myself, it can be hard, particularly in leadership positions, to see the impact of your work every day. It's so important that you continue to be motivated, but also connected to the individuals that are participating in your program. And I love that word. And so uh, not surprising to me that that's the best part of your day. And um, I'm glad you have more than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm grateful. I try to stay in a place of gratitude um, that, you know, I get to do this work, even on the challenging days, I, I get to really live life with people. And when I went to um, the Omega Institute, that was what I wrote down as my vision, that I just want to live life intentionally with people. And I get to do that. That's remarkable. Well, thank you for living a slice of it with us today. Just a couple minutes feels like we're just hitting the top of the iceberg in terms of uh, what you're doing in Durham and how you're thinking about power and leadership. But just really appreciate you spending a little bit of time during what I know has been a crazy week for you, <laughs> probably a crazy month and year uh, to, to share a bit with our listeners. It's just been a pleasure to talk with you and to hear more about your story. Well, I, again, I'm so grateful to be in partnership with you all, and thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about the work we do um, every day in Durham. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.